Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to WGWG.org. My name is Stephanie Flores Fuentes. Welcome to Insert Subject Here, or ISH, as I like to call it. ISH is a segment in this radio that covers popular news subjects and takes a closer look at the data in regards to said subjects. Today, we will be talking about e-cigarettes, or more specifically, Juul. So let's listen to some music before we get down to the details. I don't know about all of you, but personally, I've been seeing vaping stores crop up all over the place. I live in a town with a population of about 7,000, and I have spotted three vaping stores in the past two years, all within a five-mile radius of each other. There were four at one point, but I'm guessing that it went under. But that really just begs the question, who is their clientele? And, well, that just kind of depends on who you ask. The makers of Juul have insisted that their market audience has always been those who suffer from an addiction to cigarettes. Their idea was to gradually wean off users of their need for traditional cigarettes with their product, which would deliver a measured dose of nicotine contained in a discrete vaporizer, most commonly one that looks like a USB flash drive. Yet, a substantial part of their market is made up of first-time users of nicotine products, many of which are underage. According to a 2017 report by the CDC, in 2016, e-cigarettes remained the most commonly used tobacco products among high school and middle school students. This report noted that between the 2011 to 2016 timeframe, there was a decrease of use of traditional tobacco products. However, these lower rates were offset by an increase in hookah and e-cigarette use. In 2016, 11.3% of high school students and 4.3% of middle school students used cigarettes. From 2017 to 2018, these numbers have considerably increased to 20.8% of high school students and 4.9% of middle school students. As mentioned before, if asked, Juul maintains that their target audience are those with pre-existing nicotine addiction. But the Stanford research into the impact of tobacco advertising by the Stanford University School of Medicine begs to differ. Their summary included 2,690 Twitter posts, 248 Facebook posts, and 187 Instagram posts, in addition to 171 customer-directed marketing emails from Juul-controlled accounts and other data. To quote their findings, Juul's advertisement imagery in the first six months on the market was patently youth-oriented. For the next two and a half years, it was more muted, but the company's advertisement was widely distributed on social media channels frequented by youth, was amplified by hashtag extensions, and catalyzed by compensated influencers and affiliates. These influencers were used in particular when Juul deactivated their social media accounts after they were pressured to by the FDA. The report states that Juul sought out individuals who were popular on the internet, enrolled them in Juul's affiliate program, and compensated them for posting positive reviews 
while insisting that they not reveal their relationship. Which, needless to say, is pretty wrong and kind of manipulative, especially to such a young audience. These kids are a vulnerable audience. They are stressed, they are anxious, and their brains are literally still developing. And adding an addictive substance while they are still developing can be very disastrous. And because of Jules' discreet design, they can be very hard to keep out of schools. Because these days, most students really do need a USB drive wherever they go. And with this, we'll break off to talk about nicotine. But don't worry, we'll do that after this musical break. Welcome back, listeners. As I'm sure many of you know, one of the main addictive components in cigarettes is nicotine. And the same can be said about e-cigarettes. Every brand has variable amounts of nicotine in their products. But a study in the National Center for Biotechnology Information Database points to the most popular cigarette brands as to having between 6.17 and 12.65 milligrams of nicotine in each cigarette. So let's shoot for the lowest possible number with this data and say that a single cigarette in an imaginary pack has 6.17 milligrams. Let's also say that this pack has about 20 cigarettes, which is pretty common. This would add up to 123 milligrams of nicotine per pack. A single jewel pod lasts for approximately 200 inhalations and comes in two sizes on their website. 3% and 5% total nicotine per weight. And these are sold in a pack of two or a pack of four, which is quite a lot considering everything. And just a quick note, only the Virginia tobacco and mint flavors are available in the lower 3% options. The higher percentage of these has flavors such as mango, creme brulee, cucumber, fruit, menthol, classic tobacco, along with the two aforementioned flavors. On their website, Jules states that their 5% pods contain about 40 milligrams of nicotine, and the 3% pods contain about 23 milligrams at the time of manufacture. So a pack of two in a higher concentration would contain about 80 milligrams of nicotine, and in a pack of four, it's about 160, which is quite a bit more than our imaginary 20 cigarettes with 123 milligrams. It is reasonable to believe that this product can be used by those who wish to slowly wean themselves off of nicotine, but the demographic that the company targeted in their early marketing were likely first-time users. Nicotine is highly addictive and affects brain chemistry by triggering the brain's reward system, which makes it harder and harder to quit over time. According to a 2015 medical research paper titled Harmful Effects of Nicotine, nicotine poses several health hazards. There is an increased risk of cardiovascular, respiratory, and gastrointestinal disorders. There is decreased immune system response, and it also poses ill impacts on reproductive health. It also affects cell proliferation, oxidative stress, apoptosis, and DNA mutation by various mechanisms, which leads to cancer. Another article published in the same year titled, Hidden Formaldehyde in E-Cigarette Aerosols 
observed that formaldehyde-containing hemiacetals can be formed during the e-cigarette vaping process. They continued that in vaped e-cigarettes, more than 2% of the total solvent molecules have converted to formaldehyde-releasing agents, reaching concentrations higher than the concentrations of nicotine. This happens when propylene glycol and glycerol can be heated in the presence of oxygen to temperatures reached by commercially available e-cigarettes operating at a high voltage. We don't know yet what the impact of formaldehyde is on the respiratory system, but it is labeled as a group 1 carcinogen. So, let's wrap up today's subject. Using e-cigarettes in general may be more dangerous than what it is advertised as. We don't have a lot of research about their negative effects because companies aren't very forthcoming and it's still relatively new technology. The vaporizing devices can leak and even explode, and those are just external factors. Even on a dual website, although it notes that users should avoid direct eye contact with their e-liquid, they have no warnings about the side effects on what it can do on their website if you do get it in your eye. So, please do yourself a favor and try not to use this product in the first place. This has been Insert Subject Here. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at wgwg.org. My name is Stephanie Flores Fuentes. Thank you for listening.